0: toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, everyone has a breaking point when stress gets the the best of us. Uh, Some of you, I know, have been in the military. So one of the major goals of military training is to move that breaking point, extend that breaking point as far as possible. So I had the chance this week to, to talk with... Uh, I'm going to say former Marine. I got corrected on this. I appreciate that you guys come and correct me between services. But uh, someone came and said, there's no such thing as a former Marine, right? Once a Marine, always a Marine. Anyway, former active duty Marine. Can I say that? And so just talking about uh, how what that training looked like, and, and what he said was the, the thirteen weeks of basic training is thirteen weeks of just getting screamed at in your face, getting told that you, you should know what you 're doing, but they, they don 't know what they 're doing yet, getting uh, stretched to the max in terms of your your physical Um, expenditure your, your physical fitness and then it ends with at the end 54 hours they call the the crucible where you are sleep deprived food deprived and at the end of that you get to run up a hill and if you make it up the hill then they they crown you, you know, Marine, or that's, crown's not right, but anyway, they dub you, you're done, you're, you're finished, well, you're not done, now, then the, the, then the real training begins, then the, the real um, work begins. So even with all of that training, uh, there's still a breaking point that we all get to, and for some, that, that breaking point looks like a meltdown, it looks like an explosion. For others, it looks like an escape. So maybe that's quieter, but both of those create damage. I, I had a roommate in college who was just the most gentle, mild-mannered guy that you could ever imagine. He even, even talked quietly, and one time he hit his breaking point, and he hit like literally a wooden chair with his fist, broke his, broke his hand. So again, we all have a breaking point. It expresses different ways. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's interesting at first blush, reading this, this proverb, it kind of, I, what I picture is a man who loses his self-control and breaks down a city and breaks down walls, but that's actually not what this says. It says that a person without self-control is like that city that gets broken into and it's defenseless now. And so there's no boundaries. It just everything kind of melts down for that person that doesn't have self-control. Some of you could tell a story about hitting your breaking point and doing damage. I could tell stories about hitting my breaking point. Sometimes that damage is irreparable. And it's easy to try to justify the damage. It's easy to try to justify melting down when we hit our our breaking point. I mean, we, we would maybe say, maybe you've said like me, well, anybody else in this same situation would have done the same thing. I mean, we can try to justify it, but God doesn't let us get off that easily. And throughout all the scriptures, we see this concept of responsibility, personal responsibility, and the word responsibility is there is an ability to respond. And we're going to talk this morning about the an alternative that God gives us when we hit our breaking point to losing it and melting down. And if you happen to be at the edge of your breaking point right now, then you'll want to pay special attention to what we're going to look at here this morning if you'd turn with me to First Samuel chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one on a seat close to you, and you can join us there on page 274. We've been in this study on the life of David since June now. And we called this study, if you're new today, we called this study Beloved because the name David in Hebrew means beloved. And I feel like over the last month or so, at the end of each message, I should say, tune in next week, come back next week when Saul chases David again. Like, it's just like over and over and over again. It's just like the same kind of repeated scene. Today, we get a break from that. But David's going to have a, a new tension to deal with. All right, verse 1. I'm going to move fast because I went, I went a little long for service. I'm going to try not to do that here. Now, Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. So Samuel, last judge of Israel, a prophet, well-respected prophet. It says, all Israel assembled. I have to wonder if Saul, King Saul, was included in, all, in, in that all Israel. Um, Saul and Samuel parted ways sometime back when Saul began being disobedient and Samuel was in his face challenging him. They kind of parted ways. So not sure whether Saul would have shown up or not. Probably David did not show up. For this gathering of all Israel because whether Saul was there or not, Saul would have had men there, spies there watching for David. Like this is a likely time that David might have shown up and he could have, he could have grabbed him. So David probably not there, but certainly grieved because he had looked to Samuel as a trusted spiritual mentor. So now David doesn't have Samuel to go to anymore. David's parents. He has taken to Moab for safekeeping, to to protect from Saul. David is separated from his wife, Michael. And he's surrounded by an army of men who don't share his same commitment to not getting rid of Saul. So David probably at this point is feeling very alone in the world. Let's read on. Uh, Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Paran is very far south of, of Israel, and David's probably thinking, I need to get as far away from Saul as I can. Verse 2, there was a man in Man whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, But the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. So two new characters, two descriptors for each of these characters. Nabal, uh, Abigail first, was discerning and beautiful in verse 3. Nabal was harsh and badly behaved. And any Hebrew reader of this story would have immediately recognized the word Nabal. They would have known the meaning of that word, which is fool. So it shows up elsewhere in the Hebrew scriptures. Probably not a name that parents would have given to their child. It's like if we would name our child stupid or something like that. I mean, if, if you did that, I'm not sure what you're thinking. Maybe you can explain that to me. But so probably that's not his given name, probably a nickname that stuck for reasons that we will we'll see here. All right, reading on in verse 4. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you. That would be the word shalom. Shalom be to your house, and shalom be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now, your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time we were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David." So David has 600 men now that are following him. There's 600 hungry men, and he's got to figure out how to feed them. If they wanted to, they could have just snatched a couple of sheep, and Nabal never would have missed them. I mean, he's, he's very rich, but David's too, too upright for that, and so he waits for this feast day, and whenever shepherds would shear their sheep, they would just make it a big party, have a lot of food, and so David knows all about that. He knows all about sheep, and so he waits for that day, and he appeals to the, the generosity of Nabal. And says, hey, would you share it with us? That was pretty common on a feast day. Everybody's just in high spirits. It's also just pretty common in the Middle East to, to be generous and hospitable. And so David is appealing to that. He sends these guys up, says, hey, could you spare some food for, for my guys here? And so we, they're hoping they're going to come back with some food, but they're in for a, a rude surprise. Verse 9 when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. It's kind of a hint in there that Nabal is aware of the relationship between Saul and, and David. David. Verse 11, shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed from my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told David all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. Can you just hear that? Can you hear like 400 guys strapping on this? I mean, the Hebrew does not waste any words. And so when they repeat it three times in a row like this, I mean, they're strapping it on. David is ticked. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. David is, is tired. David is tired of being misunderstood. He's tired of being accused. And on top of all that, he's got 600 guys that are hungry, they're not just hungry, they're hangry, okay? They're like, we, we, we need some food, we're getting insulted here. Verse 14, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared. What do you suppose they were prepared for? Nabal's feast that he was getting ready to give, and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs. This is, this is a lot of food. Laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded, now, now we get an insight into exactly what David is thinking. David said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David. That, that's an oath. That is like, it's a curse really. And more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. The narrator leaves no doubt what is in David's mind, what his intention is to do. David has hit his breaking point. And, I mean, it kind of, it makes sense. I mean, here's this rude man that he has done a favor to by guarding their, their shepherds and their sheep. And in verse 21, he says, he has returned me evil for good. Where did we just hear that recently? If you were here last week, Saul said it. Saul, in responding to David, when David spared his life, he said, David, you returned good for for my evil, but I have done evil to you, even in response to your good. We saw how David responded last week. David returned good for evil. Apparently, his goodwill has run out. Everyone has their breaking point. And it's easy to justify. I mean, David justifies it in verse 21. Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. I did good to him. Now he's doing evil to me. It's easy to justify, but so much damage gets done when we give full vent to our emotions, our darker emotions. Consider what damage David would do if he followed through on this plan. He would do spiritual damage because he is taking vengeance into his own hands instead of waiting for God. That's something he pledged to do last week when he was talking about Saul. He would also do damage to his reputation because he's basically lowering himself now to Nabal's level or actually even, even lower. I mean, he, th- this punishment Far, that the punishment, the retribution that David is bringing far outweighs the crime. I mean, sure, he was insulted, but he's going to kill Nabal, and not just Nabal, but all the, all the men who work for him. And they're, they're innocent. These are people who, who don't share Nabal's foolishness, and yet David's just, he's just hit his, his breaking point. If David had killed Saul last week, he would have been guilty of killing God's anointed one who God put in place before the time was right. If David follows through today, he's going to be killing a bunch of innocent people. So David's hit his breaking point, but God provides a rescue for David. God protects his plan for David to be King, because probably David would have been disqualified from being king if he had followed through on this. The rescue comes in the form of Abigail, who makes a rather long and brilliant appeal to David that we will read now, verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as Yahweh lives... And as your soul lives, because Yahweh has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for Yahweh will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord of Yahweh, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of Yahweh your God. And the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when Yahweh has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord, working salvation himself. And when Yahweh has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Really powerful, brilliant appeal. We'll, we'll go through that and look a little bit more in detail in just a moment. It has its intended effect. Verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, And blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, "'Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice.'" And I have granted your petition. Here's what we see in this scene. God provides a rescue from ourselves if we will listen. We've seen David rescued over and over and over again from Saul. Today, David needs to be rescued from himself, from his his darker emotions, and that rescue comes in the form of a beautiful woman. Beauty stopped the beast. We could spend weeks studying Abigail's strategy here. And some of you ladies did that last summer. You studied through the summer on, on Abigail. So we don't have time to do that right now. But I just want to call out a few highlights here. First of all, Abigail is a can-do kind of woman. I mean, she was not a wallflower in any sense. In verse 18, it says, Abigail made haste. I mean, she jumped on it. As soon as she heard what was going on, she's like gathering the food. She's, she's got a plan. She's moving forward. And then when she meets David, she approaches him very humbly. In verse 24, she fell at his feet, and she said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She, she's just submissive. She's humble. This is always a good idea. If, if you're dealing with somebody who is at their breaking point, Always, don't go in with guns blazing. You're just going to escalate. You're just going to make it worse. You're going to pour fuel on the fire. Go in humbly, quietly, submissively, like Abigail did. She provides perspective. So in verse 25, she says, Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Now, when we first read this, this sounds very Disrespectful. So it sounds like, you know, okay, Abigail looks like this really wise woman. Why would she be saying something really disparaging about her husband besides the fact that it's true? But it's just not a very nice thing to say. Actually, probably by her saying this, she probably saved him because she's giving David a perspective to say, David, think about what you're doing. There's, there's no honor in killing a fool. Okay, if you're going up against kind of an equal or somebody who's, who's noble or something, and there's some real reason for retribution, but this, this guy's just a, he's just a fool. And you, you don't want to lower yourself to his level. She, she reminds David of his commitment to not take revenge. So in verse 26, She says, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, because Yahweh has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. That's something that David had committed to last week. She's reminding him of his commitment. And she brings food. Verse 27, she says, now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. I mean, we've heard it said, way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Sounds shallow. It's just kind of true. So she's, she's smart. I mean, she, she meets the physical need She reminds David of the Lord's protection over his life. Verse 29, if men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, this is beautiful language. The life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of Yahweh your God. Beautiful picture there. And then she has another metaphor picture here that David is going to relate to. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. She is so smart using these word pictures to win David over, to calm him down, bring him back from his breaking point. And then she reminds him of a brighter future if he'll make a good choice today. Verse 30, when Yahweh has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, when when Yahweh keeps his promise and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. Don't you have to wonder how could a woman this smart, this beautiful, end up with a man like this? Two words, arranged marriage. Right? I mean, seriously, this was the day. This is not a day when people are like going out and meeting the love of their life and, oh, you're so wonderful. I mean, this is like, this is the day of arranged marriages and probably Abigail's, parents thought they were doing her a favor by marrying her off to someone who was really well-to-do, either not realizing or ignoring the fact that his character was, was really a mess. Most significantly about Abigail, and I left this one till last, she sacrifices herself on behalf of others. In verse 24, she fell at David's feet. She said, on me alone, my Lord be the guilt. She's just trying to take the guilt of Nabal onto herself. Verse 28, please forgive the trespass of your servant. She hasn't done anything. She hasn't done anything wrong, but she's stepping in the way to, to take the blame. What do you do, question, what do you do when a raging bull is charging at you? a bull that's reached the breaking point, out of control. Well, if you're the answer, if you're Abigail, is you step in the way. You step in the path. I mean, she didn't have to, because David made it clear he was planning to kill who? The men. He was planning to kill all of the men. And so she could have, this might have been her way out of this miserable marriage. She could have just waited, sat back, hey, let him come in, clean these guys out, And then I'm I'm free. But she stepped in, not just for these other men, but also for her her husband. She's willing to sacrifice her convenience, maybe even her, her safety, for the benefit of others. And to David's credit, he listened to this woman that he doesn't even know. He could have been bullheaded, and he could have kept charging forward, which is not uncommon when we hit our breaking point but instead he listened to her. God provides a rescue from ourselves if we will listen. I'm sure it didn't hurt that as David is listening to Abigail, he caught a whiff of lamb kebab. I'm sure it didn't hurt that she was beautiful, smart, wise, and her reasoning gets through to him. He recognizes his folly. And he receives the gift that she brings, and he humbly thanks her and is on his way. So what becomes of Nabal, you might ask? Let's read on. Verse 36. Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone, probably a heart attack or a stroke. And about 10 days later, Yahweh struck Nabal, and he died. What caused the heart attack? What caused the stroke? Was it the fact that Nabal realized how close he came to being killed? Maybe. Maybe. Was it his anger over Abigail going behind his back and helping David? Maybe. The narrator doesn't answer that question, but what the narrator does make very clear is that God is able to remove an enemy anytime he wants to, which is what we've been saying the last several weeks about Saul. God has chosen not to remove Saul, but we know he could because he just removed Nabal, but he... He hasn't removed Saul because God doesn't spare us from attack. He does deliver us from defeat. David's grateful for the rescue. Verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be Yahweh who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. Yahweh has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And do you notice what's not included here? There's no mourning at all. I mean, usually when someone loses their husband, there's, you know, she was mourning for however many days. There's none of that. There's no tears shed Over Nabal, verse 43, David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galam. Multiple wives, I always say, not recommended. And uh, that was not God's design. That's not God's plan. God's plan, one man, one woman, one wife for life. And David, this is going to come back to bite David later. He's going to marry other wives, and that's not going to bode well for him. We don't have time to get into that this morning. God is so gracious, though. God still keeps his promise in spite of David's lapses in obedience to him. David came close to losing the throne. He probably would have been disqualified if he had followed through on his plan and when he hit his breaking point, but God provided a rescuer. He provided an intercessor in the person of Abigail who was willing to put herself on the line to save others from, from death. And in this way, Abigail foreshadows another one who will come, who will be an intervener, and intercessor, who will give up his own comfort and his safety to intervene on behalf of others, 1 Timothy 2 says, There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You and I, we are all under the threat of death, the punishment that God rightly puts out towards us because of our sin. I know that sin is not a popular word today in our culture, but I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't even live up to our own standards, our own expectation for ourselves, let alone the expectations of a holy and righteous God. We sang about him earlier. His standard is perfection, and we all fall short of that. And we need someone to stand in the way, as it were, of a, of a charging bull of judgment that is coming towards us. And Jesus steps into that space. He's the ultimate mediator who places himself in harm's way as our substitute. See, Jesus intercedes for us for past times that we have hit our breaking point and lost it. He also intercedes for us in the present when we are in danger of losing it. He he intercedes. He says, you you don't have to go there. He, He calls us, Scripture calls us, to, to respond to anger in Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. The, the anger, the emotion itself is not the sin. It's what we do with it. So we're called to be angry and in our anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Anytime God gives us a command, he gives us the power to obey that command. We can't obey it on our own. We, we can't do it in our own strength. We, we need help with that. And so Colossians 3 tells us to put to death not just anger, but, but any kind of emotion that stands to take, take us over. Put, put to death whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Here's the good news for, for you and me today. We are not slaves. We don't have to be slaves to our emotions, we don't, we don't have to get carried away. When we, hit, when we come to our breaking point, we don't have to lose it because Jesus intervened for us and says, I will forgive you for the times that you do lose it but also here to give you strength so that you can choose to not lose it. Jesus offers us that alternative through his words of, of wisdom that sometimes are delivered through an Abigail. Do you have an Abigail in in your life? Do you have somebody who is willing, when they see you coming to the breaking point, they're willing to step in the way and to speak words of wisdom to, to try to bring you down off the ledge? If you have an Abigail in your life, you should listen to them like David did. If you don't have an Abigail, you have God's written word that's calling us to obedience, giving us the strength to know how to obey. Emotions Emotions make great servants terrible masters. Emotions are great lights on the dashboard of our car to tell us when we're in trouble. Emotions are terrible drivers. They need to be out of the driver's seat, and God needs to be there. So the next time you're reaching your breaking point, the next time you're like that bull running out of control, remember, God provides a rescue from ourselves if we will listen as we're closing here this morning i want to i want to do something i want to give us just a moment here to to meditate together we're going to just kind of model together what it means to meditate on scripture so i want to give us just a moment to just be still to close our eyes and i want you to picture in your mind um, the, the moment that you are likely to lose it, the, the, the moment when you're getting to your breaking point, maybe you're dealing with that right now in your life. Maybe you're so stressed, you're, you're close to that breaking point. Maybe it's something that you're not dealing with at the moment, but you know where your triggers are. I want you to picture that moment. And then I want you to meditate for, for a moment on the things that we've talked about here this morning. And I want you to picture a different outcome to that situation than what usually happens for you, a different outcome that is based on God's call to you, based on the strength and the energy that God offers to you. So we're going to just take a moment just to be still, then I'll close us in prayer. But I want you to picture that and meditate on that in your mind. Thank you, Jesus, that you provide a rescue for us from so many things, but not least of which you you provide a rescue from ourselves. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy, our flesh in us, wanting to do what is contrary to your will, is our own worst enemy. And so, Jesus, thank you for providing a rescue from that. Help us. Lord, to listen to your voice. Help us to listen to the Abigails, the people that you put in our life to remind us of truth. And help us to listen most of all to your wisdom through your word and to submit ourselves to it like David did, to to listen so that we can be rescued and fulfill your call on our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.